2: Money is changing, both in form and function. Money Reimagined is about the changing nature of money, digital currencies, and various topics related to finance, blockchain technology, artificial intelligence, and more. Michael Casey and Sheila Warren walk us through the dynamic and evolving nature of the global economy and the implications for businesses, governments, and individuals as they must adapt to new payment methods and technologies. Welcome
3: to Money Reimagined. All right, hello and welcome to Money Reimagined. I'm Michael Casey, as always, not always, but most of the time here with my wonderful co-host, Sheila Warren. Today, we're gonna be talking about Finally, Sheila, uh, stop talking about regulation of crypto and <laughs> war on crypto and Operation <laughs> point or not Operation choke point and whether it's Ben Fried's fault or anyone else's fault. And finally, start talking about something else, AI, artificial intelligence, which is not exactly a tiny topic yeah. at the moment either. <laughs> but I've also fraught with some sort of very negative uh, connotations, although I don't necessarily share all of that. I think there's all sorts of interesting things happening in this space that we should be embracing. But of course, there is a very, very, I think, interesting intersection between AI and crypto. And a lot of people now are starting to realize that this is a conversation that really needs to move forward. That There are various use cases, I think, for blockchain and crypto technology to be helpful and complementary to, to AI. But the context in some respects for this conversation, I think, let's start with this uh, rather terrifying open letter that- <laughs> It was an op-ed, really, that Eliza Yudkowsky, who is known as really the pioneer, the founding father of the field of artificial general intelligence, right? This idea that AI not only sort of takes on its own life as an intelligent being almost. And, you know, he was responding to an open letter that had been published by, you know, I think somewhere 3,000 different supposed experts in the field of AI, including Elon Musk, interestingly, uh, calling for... A sort of an immediate six-month sort of moratorium on the development of AI systems that would be more powerful than the current standard of GPT-4. The argument being that this is really dangerous stuff. If we don't properly manage it, it you know could just take on a life of its own and do harm to humanity. Yudkowski made the case that that's not enough. He said, "Look, that's the only way to stop this is to shut it all down." And he went so far as to suggest that like military operations should be brought into you know, blow up labs and things, and sort of also said that, like, you know, even in the event of there being some potential risk of nuclear confrontation, nuclear states should understand that that is this is the priority over that particular risk, which is just kind of a little bit extreme in my view. He came out with this line saying that many researchers steeped in these issues, including myself, expect that the most likely result of building a superhumanly smart AI under anything remotely like the current circumstances is that literally everyone on Earth will die. So,
1: uh- I mean, so many thoughts. Okay, so, so let's just draw some connective threads. I know you're trying to distance us from uh, conversations of the past, but they all connect, right? So, the the general AGI conundrum... Slash drama is something that is is core to the effective altruism movement, EA being, of course, Sam Bankman-Fried's raison d'etre and his excuse for all of his sociopathic behavior. Speaking of sociopaths, I will say, observing strictly observing here in Silicon Valley, as I tend to do, as we see an exodus of sociopaths from crypto, well, they're going somewhere, friends. <laughs> and they're going where the money is. And where might the money be? The money is in AI. So, we are seeing an exodus, a transference of sociopathy from the crypto space, which, right. you know, yay, but over to AI, boo, you know, I would argue right. <laughs> that the AI problem and having people with nefarious motives, or, you know, maybe just not even nefarious, but just not necessarily humanity oriented, you know, motives in AI is worse for us as a planet and society than than having them in crypto. But like I say, you know, they're all going to flock somewhere and that seems to be the this gold rush. So. All of that being said as context, you know, there definitely is there are alarm bells to ring here. I think what got so much attention from this particular consciousness raising exercise, if you'll put it
3: right. It was effective in that okay. regard? you are got to it's give just him that. The
1: sheer drama of it all. Right. The idea again, we talk about drama a lot in the show, but just the idea of like saying that, you know, comparing this to like a nuclear strike and all this kind of just this language, this, this rhetorical flourish is very, I think, very challenged, uh, I would say. But there's there's something to be said for kind of the kernel of truth within all of this, which is, you know, we do see a unbelievably rapid. We talk about how fast crypto moves and how fast blockchain technology innovation moves all the time. Right. And we know that is true. AI moves even faster. And part of the reason, it's one of those things that, again, it was very, very slow and extremely fast. So for the last five years, all I've been hearing in the Valley is AI, 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 AI. You know, we're going to have all the AGI, this, that. And now, I mean, the, just the piece of going from chat GPT-3 to 4, for example, and not just that, but the differences between 4 and 3 are not just like version 1 and 1.1, right? It, it's like it's like a generation has grown up in this time.
3: That's what it is. It's exponential. That's what happens when you... you know.
1: That's right. It's exponential. And so the advent of AGI doesn't seem as crazy as it sounded a couple of years ago. But all of that bearing in mind, there have been a lot of folks, including all of these EA folks who have been paying attention to this for a long time. So little known fact, when I took the job at the forum, there was another job I was up for, which was working with a company that was all effective, founded on philosophy of effective altruism. So I I kind of did a deep dive there at the time, learned a lot about it. And the main thing they said was the number one thing we need to focus on two things. One was pandemic prevention, and one was AI, the singularity, it's gonna kill us. Those two things are gonna kill us. And so all this funding, all this money, they were trying to find Uh, ways. I decided that was not for me. But it's been going on for a while. I mean, that was now six, seven years ago. So to see this come to fruition and some of this stuff become real is there is an element of alarm there that I think is is realistic, even if the rhetoric around it's a bit yeah. absurd.
3: Yeah, I wouldn't want to dismiss the idea that AI could really do great harm. Like, I think we need to be yeah. very conscious of that. And I, th- I think it's, it's clear. We've, we've seen some of the things that goes rogue here and there that suggest like this. You know, it, it, it's very it's conceivable now. And that, and that is important. Look, I think the thing that's, that I just want to position, I think this is where we'll, you know, we'll segue to our guest in a moment. And I think it's very relevant to, if not crypto solutions, certainly the mindset of crypto, is that you have this risky situation right now where essentially one company, I mean, there's a couple others, but the one that is dominating this, by the way, it was a not-for-profit and now it's a for-profit, I'm talking about yep. OpenAI, of course, is now out there saying also like joining this, this call to slow things down and therefore regulate us. And so doing, creating itself as the standard and therefore building a system of regulatory capture. So you have this really sort of scary situation by ringing the alarm bells, sort of encouraging, not particularly, we know this very well informed legislators to step in and say, hey, we need to do this. Let's listen to Sam Altman and sort of regulate this thing. And all of a sudden, you have a monopolizing control of these existing AI. And also, like, if we freeze this now, Do we really think that the North Koreans and the, you know, Chinese are also going to abide by the the moratorium, right? So to me, the only way to fight this is to sort of somehow continue with this innovation. And then the question becomes, under what framework, right? How do we establish in a decentralized world, because whether we like it or not, the data pool from which AI is drawing it from ain't controlled by anybody. It's a international internet, borderless-based decentralized data pool. How are we going to manage the access to the training of and the development of the, the machine learning that happens around all of that decentralized yeah. data pool, right?
1: Yeah, I agree with you. And I think it's also in the context of this tech lash, this ongoing tech lash, and this kind of hide your head in the sand, ostrich-like approach that the US, I mean, again, the government's not monolithic. We can learn all the points we've learned all the time on this show. But You know, regardless, there are some pretty loud elements within the U.S. government at the federal level that really seem to think that if we pretend it doesn't exist or something or we offshore it and it's not within our it's not our problem, you know, formally, then somehow the threat doesn't exist, which is insane. So I just think that in that context, there is a possibility that you're going to see folks in the government trying to do something with this technology that just makes it so cumbersome to engage with it. Onshore, And we're not seeing this yet, to be clear, but, you know, there's a possibility because we didn't think this would happen with crypto either. It becomes so cumbersome to engage with it onshore that people offshore just start moving things offshore and start taking that talent in other places where you don't have any kind of structure around it and things move even faster. And that's actually lauded and celebrated.
3: That is the connection between the crypto story that we've been banging up the last couple of weeks. That's
1: right. It's all tied to tech lash at the end of the day.
3: And this, yes, because if you you know you, you shut the operation of crypto down here, then you are shutting your chance to deal with some of these solutions. And you're also sort of taking a very closed-minded approach to innovation by, yeah. by being sort of hard-lined, whereas really the solution, I think, has to be open source. On that note, though, let's bring in somebody who indeed does straddle these two worlds, Jake Steves, Thanks for being here. Jake's a founder of Bitten, Sir. What am I doing here? We, we bit, tensor. bit tensor, bit tensor. We actually had it all figured out. Bit tensor. Right. I'm sorry mm-hmm. about that. Bit tensor. So, Jacob, I mean, you heard this you know, rant, if you want to call it that, that I gave.
0: You touched on a, a lot of things and you, you started from a memorandum. I think that was really interesting. It's very topical. You have the greats in AI that the power per player is going, hey, we need to stop it and let's pull the brakes on it with regulation. Let's maybe even just shut down the, the data centers. And then you have obviously like the super extreme. The less wrong people saying that you know it's it's now or never that we destroy AI and and I think that there's there's like a whole bunch of things wrong with all of these takes like it's hard to really point at one but I'll, I'll try my best like on the far extreme I mean I think that there's sort of a tendency in the effective altruism groups that they have like a naive empiricism they think that they know what's going to happen with my brilliant intent uh, you know intelligence I know what's going to happen in twenty years. Specifically, and you guys should give me the control and maybe you should even let me do terrible things. Like if you read some of their the Reddit, I mean, I don't want to like attack them ad hominem, but but some of the people in their in their Reddit groups are like, we should go and kill machine learning researchers. You know, like when you get into this sort of like extreme thinking, you're like, well, life and death for humanity, you know, is is turning on my decisions. You know, you you get these unibomber type people yeah. uh, that could pop out of that extremism and obviously I'm opposed to that and it, and it comes down to this like look guys you don't actually know what's going to happen and i would say that like the way that we approach this problem and you were touching on this was like where does crypto come in from an ethical perspective from an intellectual perspective it's that you know we have invented new forms of ownership with digital currencies we've invented new forms of trust uh, censorship resistance. Uh, we, we have the most liquid technology for ownership that we've ever had as a humanity. And we can ask questions like, who owns it? And we can define structures of ownership around technologies in ways that we've never been able to do before. And I think that that's where like, the principled solution to these questions, these far out questions about what AI is going to do to humanity can be answered is like, who owns it? Great. okay, potentially some bad things can happen, but if we can control it, if we can democratize its ownership using this hyperliquid technology of ownership and transfer of ownership, then that's the best way that we can create this symbiosis, a so synthesis between the human biome and the AI biome. and this is getting super like you know <laughs> techy and like far out in sci-fi, but you know it also this applies itself to the the near term as well, where you know, you have the memorandum and and the question in these these corporations and institutions that are trying to bring in regulation. Um, that are likely going to create moats for themselves. Uh, in as you mentioned, regulatory capture, they're basically bolstering their power structure around the whole AI field. You know, under the auspices of we're going to save humanity. Right. Uh, you know, uh-huh. th- they're they're probably going to leverage a lot of political favor with people that like to latch on to these types of you know sensational you know movements and culture to position themselves better and you know I wouldn't say that they're nefarious like Sam Altman I think he's a great guy but if you listen to him speak in a couple of interviews he's like yeah we want to democratize AI we just don't know how to do it yeah. we just don't know how to do it so we tried this organizational structure but it's now it's turned out to be a a closed system a closed corporation it's not an open open ownership thing it's it's ivory tower solutions to um, technological innovation problems. Like, let's, let's just, we'll hold on to the power here, and then we'll, you know, say what's the, good. And the I mean, benevolent dictator. The uh, benevolent of. dictator, exactly. And you know what we are as a company is we're saying, let's build open ownership uh, companies around, let's build one, network mm-hmm. ownership, so you can take a piece, you can contribute, you can own it, and then let's let the people decide. Really, like, okay. So, if we all had a piece of this, then this thing is not going to come back and hurt us because, at the end of the day, it the fundamental currency of the AI, the fundamental ownership part is, you know, in your wallet. That's where, like, you know, we think, you know, philosophically, that's our opinion on on the field.
3: But what do you break down for us then, you know, in the basic sort of high level position what what Pittenzer is is doing then? Yeah. How does, you know, so it's an ownership. It's a collective ownership type of model, but how, what is, what is, what is the token mechanism and, and the like in that?
0: Funny, we didn't actually build a system to solve this ownership problem. That sort of arose from the nature of, of the system itself. When you read the white paper that I didn't write, that came from you know, and other individuals in the community... It says, "Hey, we can actually incentivize the production of AI better using digital currencies." And so that's got nothing to do with like ethics around ownership. That's got everything to do with let's actually create AI. So it's it's like a, not about let's try to wield AI so much as it let's try to push it forward. Let's try to drive it into the future. And the core thesis in that paper, as I understand it, is really, "Hey, if you look at the largest computing substrates in the world." they are actually in the cryptosphere. Ethereum and Bitcoin are the largest supercomputers in the world, measured in hashes in those, in those networks. For good or ill, whether or not you're, you position yourself on either side of the POW debate, they are megastructures. They are the largest computing megastructures that humanity has ever created. And they're hundreds of times larger than the data warehouses of companies like Google, which is insane to think, right? And that's all driven by building uh, very aligned incentive mechanisms for a digital commodity. so in the, in the case of Bitcoin, right, one way to think about it in the inverse is it's a network market for hashing power, and that's created this supercomputer and and AI is also a computing problem. It's a digital commodity in and of itself, whether you represent that in terms of the weights or, or the data or the intersection of weights and data and the compute, you are producing something that has value and is a digital thing. So the core premise in BitTensor is that we can build digital markets around machine intelligence, specifically around intelligence and use incentives to pull it into this network that is co-owned by the individuals who own the token. Let's get very specific. We, we have basically a, a blockchain, uh, that blockchain has a mechanism in it that rewards uh, computers for producing uh, outputs that are useful in a machine learning sense. So we built our first network around embeddings to the layman, and embedding is, is a mathematical representation of, of data that is very useful for computers to do artificial intelligence, like a, a, a good example. If you look at like, say, a company like OpenAI, they'll be like, hey, this is our embedding API. You can query. GPT-4, and you can get its embeddings, which is the last layer of its neural network that encodes the meaning of the sentence that you've sent it, and that is really useful for machine learning models because they can actually read that numerical representation and use it for input to themselves for various reasons. So, doing classification, consensus, you know, census, sentiment analysis—that's an example. But actually, you know, the field is is moving very quickly, as you guys know, and you you talked about it in the initial preamble. It's like things are changing so fast, and you know now the digital commodity that is most valuable to AIs are the outputs of other machine learning models. And this, mm. this is, you know, what you know, has recently happened with chat GPT is a very good example. So, you know, OpenAI completely zero to one, the field changed mm. us forever as a, as a species by really just implementing the research they re- released a year before around instruct GPT, instruct GPT, where they use reinforcement learning to fine tune large language models. So that they were very good at, at doing, you know, answering being completion. Long story short, they have these great outputs to your questions. Hey, you know, write me a poem, and it's like boom, there it is. Uh, and that's all just by by taking these very large language models that were previously, you know, fine tuned to specific tasks, and and using reinforcement learning to get them to do question answering, and in a very very effective way. And anyways, the outputs of these models when you say hey, write me a poem, and then it writes you a poem, or like where is what's the capital of of Texas, and it says Austin, those outputs and the sequence of those outputs is a digital commodity in the sense that it holds an incredible amount of value. It's like it's refined information, it's very valuable. It's so valuable that Anthropic, which is another AI company, and Google both trained almost completely their versions of chat models off the outputs of ChatGPT. Hmm. What is that? The first time in history that there's been almost like a, you know intelligence espionage between two AI companies, you know, getting the outputs of the other model as inputs themselves. So, anyways, to, you know, to bring it back, basically, there are these digital commodities that you could call them intelligence in a bit of a hand-wavy sense. And you know, BitTensor, what we do is we're building markets around these digital commodities because we can we can basically incentivize them into production in the same way that hashes are incentivized in Bitcoin. And that allows us to scale using that amazing quality of the internet and open ownership systems that we can get very, very large. So we are trying to overtake OpenAI, we're trying to overtake Google, and we're trying to do it inside the sphere by unifying these technologies. And that's, that's basically what we are. Wow.
1: So, you know, a lot of the, so, so interesting, but a lot of the concern around this fundamental around AI, I mean, fundamentally comes back to governance, right? Which yeah. is which is what you're talking about. If only there were an industry segment that had been spending a lot of time, you know, reinventing democracy and thinking about, you know, governance, right? But the open AI thing, right, Michael, that you cited, the challenge around them being uh, open and now going private, all of that is a governance question. It's it's this idea of who has the keys to the kingdom, not keys in our sense in the crypto world, but you know who who is the one ma- calling the shots, making decisions. How much power are we giving a corporation or private citizens, uh, and is that is that power better off being held in a more democratic model, whether through a literal democratic process? Uh, with elected officials, all that kind of thing, or whether through just a decentralized form of governance, like we talk about all the time in, in the crypto ecosystem. And what I love about what you're talking about is ways of kind of meshing these governance mechanisms, you know, into this and saying, maybe the challenge of governance is less scary if we actually have more insight into the inputs. And we kind of have a sense of how some of this is actually happening and what's going down. So we've taken kind of the black box of AI, and we've said at least we can, to some extent, make transparent or share, you know, as much as we can of the process. And then maybe there's a more like, I I don't want to call it auditability. There's kind of more of this accountability type of function. Yeah. So comment on that.
0: That's really interesting. And this was the, I think that the, this was the original thesis of OpenAI. They were like, okay, we don't know how to make it open ownership, but let's just release the, we'll release the research. And that will be the way that we make it open. And so people can like evaluate us based on what we've done. And that's really beautiful. And I'm really glad that the research aspect of AI is you know, committed to this openness. But what we've seen over the last year and, and even going back farther is that these AI companies are realizing that the thing that they're producing is very valuable and very expensive to make. And that makes it so that they don't really want to share their the, too much of what they're doing because there's not really any incentive to do that and we're seeing the closing down of the industry in some sense because people are are fighting against these corporations which if they can close source it they're going to make more money and it's just common for people to you know go with markets uh, in that regard so unless we understand internally the incentives that are governing the AI industry and we're not naive and, and overly idealistic about uh, you know how this the system is going to um, evolve over time, we're going to get stuck. We're going we're to end up in a situation where there's regulations that around moats and corporations which don't open source the real juicy stuff like they said they were going to do. Because frankly, OpenAI needs to pay back Microsoft and their yeah. investors. And so does every other company that raises in a traditional sense, they're going to need to pay back those investors. If you look at the way that the incentives are designed, you can kind of see where the system is going to go. And with cryptocurrencies, you can like invert incentives. You can like redefine them entirely. And, and I think that maybe we don't have the best solution to incentives all, but I definitely believe that for sure the the best mechanism for incentivizing intelligence is going to come out of the most liquid form of ownership and incentivization that we have, which is around digital currencies. So it's, it's a fascinating time to see what's, what's going on.
2: Are you looking to fast track your enterprise growth? With tools and solutions from EY, you could run your essential business applications, including private transactions and zero knowledge applications on public Ethereum. From supply chain to procurement to sustainability, EY blockchain's APIs and zero knowledge tools make public Ethereum accessible to all enterprise users. Find out why some of the world's leading companies are building on Ethereum with EY. Visit us at blockchain.ey.com. With Brave Wallet, you can securely manage your crypto across 100 chains, including Ethereum, L2s, Solana, and more. Buy, send, hold, and swap crypto and NFTs, all right in your browser no extensions required. Download the Brave browser today to get started at brave.com forward slash wallet.
3: So this is where I do think like the the, the language, the ideas, almost the philosophy of crypto is right for this kind of merging as much as we are in this very brutal environment where, you know, it's got a bad name and everything else. But like Web3, to me, is a direct challenge to the sort of corporate Web2 structure, which is what you're really referring to, right? The, the core problem, as I saw it, with you know, the internet platforms, the dominance of, of Google, Facebook, et cetera, was the business model, right? It, it was literally that there was an in- inherent incentive for those platforms to extract data from all of us, to, to build a black box that it could then convert into advertising dollars and monopolize that deliberately without transparency for the sake of maximizing profits to to reach the ends of its investors on a quarterly basis in the the capitalist system on which we're based, right? So the entire model of Web2 is the problem. It's, it's, It's not to say that, you know, capitalism is bad or anything like that, but we have inadvertently layered into the sort of industrial world's model of how you, you know, incentivize shareholders and investors and, and developers and we lay it into this wild new world of open information open systems and data and those two things do not it turns out go together very well at all. <laughs> you know the, the sort of exponential control that comes from being a dominant platform is that it the incentives drive you into this horrible monopolizing situation. Yeah. Take that into AI and it gets far more scary. It's it yeah. absolutely, it takes it to a far, far bigger level, right? So now is the time to have the conversation
0: around incentives. And in, in having a conversation about incentives instead of, you know, Eliza's basilisk, right? Which is this thought experiment about potentially AI needing to torture us, right? It's like, it, why are we talking about this instead of who owns it? Because that's the core incentives of the entire industry are going to be defined by how ownership is distributed. And mm-hmm. and you know, that's a really, really pressing question. That's a really, really pressing problem in most most industries, and especially yeah. this one, because AI has inherently a centralizing effect. Because it's like whoever has the AI has more power to make, get more power. So we need to be very careful about where the initial framework and the foundations of, of this industry are. are well,
3: well, in theory, I suppose if we do come up with a structure that we all recognize, so where Sheila, you get your governance point in here, but like we do have a governance model that we recognize as sufficiently recognizing the interests of the collective as opposed to the individual centralized entity, then in theory, it wouldn't kill us if the starting problem here is how are the models being incentivized, then something that is like in the common interest, you know, again, this is, But it yeah, seems to I, me, mean, right, but like, I want to find out like, can we actually fix this problem though? Like, can we so, actually build something that doesn't itself lead to a doomsday machine anyway? Well,
1: there's two things, right? So, so as you said earlier, it's not that the problem's capitalism, but it's not that the problem's not capitalism. I mean, I think we can call out capitalism as being a huge issue here. I
3: mean, just every time I say capitalism is a problem, I, I get I get hordes of Twitter people coming at me like, I'm...
1: Yeah, that's what mute's for. Mutant black. Mutant black, my friend. Mutant black. <laughs> I
0: know.
1: Fair enough. I'm kidding, but fair enough. So we do have incentives in our society that are motivated on profit motive. We know this, right? And so so to some extent, everybody wants to be the ones controlling the keys to the kingdom. Again, using keys for very, really, metaphorically not literally, because that means that you get more money and people love money and that's what capitalism is based on, et cetera, et cetera. I think there's two questions here. So one is, one is predicated on the assumption that, you know, AI is not going to overtake us in terms of mental and emotional capacity and mimicry and everything else, and that there is a governance model that can control an AI and, and before it gets to AGI or even when it is AGI, or whatever. The other is uh, saying, and I think this is to go back to where we started, to go back to some of the criticism around this, it's genies out of the bottle, as it were you know, it doesn't matter what governance you put around it, because the thing is going to find a way to control you anyway. So you're just screwed and we're all going to die. Like <laughs> basically like the other one. Right. And I, I do think it's fair to say that the criticism we, t- we started with is landed in that second point, which says, put your, you know, hilarious human governance mechanisms around this thing. Good luck with that. It's not going to work. You know, is, is really, I think, what that criticism is about. And I think the question, if you really believe that, then I think you also kind of believe that we're too far gone already anyway. And so this idea, right, of this letter that came out from all these randos that was like, oh, stop everything, you know, stop the presses, you know, hilariously, we have to say, signed by the heads of companies who had actually fired their AI ethics teams, which is a a really ridiculous note that needs to be landed, I think, with a lot of emphasis. I think you have to believe, if you're in that second camp, that that's kind of, kind of done. And we're watching this thing happen. And anything we're doing is just stalling the inevitable. And that gets back to the points we made about well, if this is inevitable that the machines rule us and the singularities upon us and all these kinds of things that we've been talking about since like the 70s and 80s, you know, then where do we want the fake control that we have to be located? And is that within a Western ish, you know, or quote unquote democratized system of government and governance? Or is it, Forget it. We're not even pretending. There's there's so many things wrapped up in this. And so I always go to the question of governance because I tend to believe, based on what I know, and again, this this is not my area of expertise, although I did oversee AI when I was at the forum, you know, I do think that there's still a chance that we could put into place governance that at least makes transparent what these inputs like we talked about, right? You can kind of make transparent what that is, which can create some kind of accountability, which is not to say that if you really achieved escape velocity, you could shut things off. That's not really a concept, but we could at least have be more mindful about what it is that we are, how we are training these systems and what we are training them to do and who we're allowing to have access to train the models, which I think is a really important question. Because again, to get back to kind of the capitalism argument, you know, we have a broader societal issue, which is in our capitalist society, we have, as we talked about on the show many times, we do tend to empower a certain demographic of individual, personality, etc. The charming sociopaths, right, are there for a reason, right? And they, they thrive for a reason, because in our hero-worshipping, wunderkind, you know, celebrating society, that's what we do. And so if those are the folks who are building out these systems, that's not a good thing. Not a good thing for all the rest of us.
3: Yeah. Jake, maybe describe what your community looks like right now, and you know, how they're working together, what opportunities, challenges they're facing, you know, I and mean, is it growing? What, just give us a bit of a picture of, of what the, the the potential network looks like at the moment.
0: Well, that's a really interesting question. And I think that there's two ways to answer that. One is just to describe who's there. And then another question is who succeeds in it. And mm. that's because one is like, okay, of course, we're in a Web3 ecosystem. Uh, so we're going to have a lot of basement dweller people. Real weird people out there. You're gonna have uh, hackers, scammers. You're gonna have, you know, uh, um, basically, you just have people because in a in a completely open system, it's just whoever wants to come. It's mm-hmm. like you want to join, like in our Discord, and mine, can,
1: right, and can
0: and mine, mine Bitensor. You, I can't stop you. You don't have people call me all the time. They're like, hey, can I mine? I'm like, you, why are you asking? <laughs> me? You know, that, that's constant. like, I don't need to hire you. You can just be a participant. And so, we, 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 yeah, it's permissionless. And that's, I think that's a, a very good quality of what we have. And I think that we have a lot of people that are, you know, probably traditionally web three people that have been pulled into this because they like, know this is a good idea. And I would say it's been very hard to sell to. Machine learning engineers that are maybe more traditionally educated and are not part of the Web3 ecosystem because a lot of them have a lot of like anger towards Web3. They haven't liked that we've got really rich because they think that it's all a scam. And honestly, I, I frankly understand that because to understand like what is going on here, you kind of have to de- deep dive. Like to understand what Bitcoin is, you that initially I hated, you know, and so I think that there is, there's like a, a force uh, that pushes people away from Web3 and think that it's all just a scam. So there's definitely a bias in who's there. Um, the interesting thing that I'll add though, is that the people that get into the system and really mine it and really come to control a lot of, of the network are not the people that you'd expect. Um, and then are definitely not the people that you would hire. It's mm. like, you'd be like, no, 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 no. And they don't hire those people. But then they turn out to be really, 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 really smart people. And, that,
3: and you can imagine how in an AI world, the person who is the maverick, who is running against the current, may well be the solution that finds the, the, the fascinating path because everything else just lends itself to conformity and that's not where solutions get found, right?
0: Absolutely. There's no conformity. And, and it's the people, they just are winners, you know, and they might not even know much about AI and then they just learn it and they just become the best. So that's very cool quality of these things. You know, there's a lot of things I've learned about being very close into the development of cryptocurrency and an ecosystem uh, of people that is fascinating to me um like how one of the qualities of borderless systems is that i have a company we have we have a foundation that tries to govern the system but the ecosystem itself is your company and you're all working together and you're all pulled to pulled together with a shared value system, uh, uh, you know, specifically a value system, because the money is the thing that drives us, you know, that pulls us together. And, and I think that the fact that we're rooted on a currency allows people to had, have the shared value system, to participate in the shared value system where they wouldn't otherwise be allowed to with these ivory tower organizations. So, so anyways, to answer your question, basically, we have all sorts of uh, people that a lot of them we don't even know, uh, that are, they're maybe invisible to us. That are in, in this ecosystem. And, uh, and we pull in some amazing, amazing things. Like, for instance, I don't know how to get very cheap GPUs, but there are people out there that know how to get GPUs about a tenth of the price that you can get on Lambda Labs, for instance. And maybe in a bit of a nefarious way, they are getting that. And I don't know, but that compute power is on BitTensor, and I don't even know. Uh, where it comes from. All I know is that I cannot compete with it. So that's an interesting quality too, when you know coming back to less less on the ethics side and, and the philosophy of BitTensor, just the, that core technology's ability to leverage compute and human resource capital in ways that that uh, a closed system cannot.
3: There's an industry around doomsdaying, right? It's, yes. a, it, it's a fundamental industry and that's what bothers me about this. So anyway, so that, that's just good. But so, Jake, one thing that you said earlier that I thought'd be thinking, you mentioned the fact that there's this powerful element of the new phase of AI development we're in where the outputs of chat become these powerful things. Is that in itself in some way a democratizing thing right like that now you know you said Microsoft just does this, and I wonder how that feeds into your model where you said, okay, who are the winners that so there, there yeah. is the you don't need to be the ivory tower anointed brilliant machine learning expert. you can actually start to to grab these sort of openly available outputs and figure out new ways to develop it. Is that, is that fair to say?
0: Yeah, it is actually fair to say that, that the models themselves are getting smaller now in some ways. Mm. And it's more about learning how to perhaps use data sets and, and the right learning algorithms. So is it so much about how much computational power you have? Or is it, there is a, a, a movement here um, in the AI space. That's not, it's not just totally linear. Um, so that, that's like very interesting. And, and, you know, one of the questions is, is it just going to be one big computer that runs the world, right? Is it just going to be chat, you know, GPT eight or 10 or infinity, um, or is it going to be a, like a plethora of, of different models that are communicating with each other and learning from each other and, and run by a large group of different people and there's like decentralization and there's communication. And, and I think that if you use human society as an analogy and you go, hey, is there just one human that's better, the best at everything? It's, it's not the case, actually. You can replace every person with 10 very well-organized people. Um, you know, if you pick the domain experts, and I think that I think that that is a really healthy. That would be a healthy output. That would be a healthy result of the AI revolution. Would to have be have be having decentralization, you know, in the models um, and communication, and having an ecosystem, or you could say a community of AIs, and that's the the future that we want to create.
1: I kind of love that vision, right? It's like a, a positive vision of these things, and I think it's a it's a it's a pretty sharp contrast to this culture of. Cassandra, you know, Nostradamus doomsday scenario painting that I think so many are doing, especially around tech. And look, there's an appetite for that. We've talked about the tech lash. There's an appetite for that, especially in the United States. I do think that the kind of antipathy towards crypto and the generalized fear of AI is somewhat a uniquely American phenomenon. You know, and again, I think it's rooted in this kind of distrust of Web2 companies. And there's reason for that. I mean, I, I, we've covered, well-covered, well-documented territory there. It's really interesting to see how so many other countries in the world, here, I'll just bring that perspective again, are, are really seeing this as opportunity and not as something to kind of guard and gate, but as something to harness, right? Mm-hmm. Now, whether that turns out to be realistic as an expectation around, you know, AI remains to be seen. But certainly, I think there are a lot of folks who are looking at this as something to be encouraged within boundaries, like bounded and, you know, like in, in a harness, like I said, as opposed to trying to kind of shove it, shove the toothpaste back in the tube, which is never going to work and, and not going to happen. It's only going to lead to probably worse outcomes, right? Unforeseen consequences and worse outcomes. So I'm really happy that we we're able to have a chat that takes that takes all this very seriously, but still understands the path forward is not necessarily full of, you know, all the horsemen of the apocalypse running at us and all at the same time you know and like overwhelming us there's actually other things that could that could happen doesn't need
0: to be a horror film
1: yeah that's right that's right it doesn't have to be a yeah it doesn't
3: doesn't, i mean look it's it's, we have to be careful of it right there's just no doubt that this is this is potentially quite powerful and like any technology can do great harm as well as good um and in this case it is easy to imagine the harm that it could do so it's a very very important conversation um but you know what i i do think that like I mean, what you were saying, Sheila, makes me think of like this being a function of late stage imperialism, right? I mean, you, yeah. you naturally veer towards protecting the status quo if you're if you're the most powerful, you know, of them all, right? That's what you do. That's, that's the protective nature of any monopoly or any any hegemony. So it's going to be natural that other places, other countries, other other players in this are going to start to sort of see it as a thing to harness rather than to protect or attack. What's really interesting about crypto as a framework, though, is it steps outside of those traditional entity boundaries. It's neither a company nor is it a country, Um, you know, and Jake, you described this network of people. You don't know where they're coming from, they're they're from anywhere. So, you know, and and as a result, they're sort of, they are in in some respects, you know, Balaji sort of us's new network state, right, existing in this particular community structure. It, could it could it evolve into something nefarious? Nefarious, quite possibly, right? I mean, we need to be keep our eyes open here. This is not. I think it. I think one of the things that the, the crypto community would not do well to do is to sort of simplistically tout that they have the magic solution to all these problems, right? I think that's gotten into trouble in the past, right? This is not a blockchain fixes everything mindset, but it does occur to me that like the beauty of what it's brought to me and the way I see it, it just it changes my way of thinking. I mean, and Jake, you did it, you said it brilliantly, like this it's about incentive and and the sort of incentive structure that's in place. So so thanks very much for coming on the show and uh, illuminating us. There's so much that we could do. I think we're going to be talking about AI for quite a, many more episodes here, Sheila. Yeah, i um, excited. Yeah. So Jake, thanks a lot. Great thank conversation. Uh, good luck with everything. Uh, thank you all for listening. Do come back again next week for another edition of Money Reimagined. That's all for now. Bye-bye.
2: You've been listening to Money Reimagined with Michael Casey and Sheila Warren. The show has been produced and edited by Michelle Mousseau. Our executive producer is Jared Schwartz. Our theme song is Aida by Neon Beach. If you have any questions or comments, we would love to hear from you. Please reach out to us at podcasts at coindesk.com, subject line Money Reimagined, or leave us a review on your favorite podcast player. Thanks for listening.